Okay, ready when you are. I'm always ready. Never ready. Leave that in. Leave that in. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? Long time no see, Musa. How are you? Yes, it's been such such a long time. Um, I'm good. I'm very good, actually. Uh, I Go on, what have you been cooking now? It's usually what comes next. You know, you know, I've been cooking. Good vibes. Oh, oh my God. The sun came out. Just Somebody as- save me. Can I put out a... <laughs> I might start putting Morse code for SOS in these podcasts. Please, someone. Save me from this nonsense. I was, um, just as I said that, the sun came out. How cool is that? Oh, yeah, it's perfect. Actually, that's really funny that you said that because we had a question. All right. Let's kick it off. Let's go for it. the question. You know, relevant to your self-proclaimed God powers then. <laughs> uh, from Kunai. Yeah. Is it wrong that I imagine God probably laughs the way Musa does? <laughs> what the, the twisted laughter, how the creation has turned out. The gallows humour or the knowledge of what's coming. I imagine the, the God Twitter account, you know, the tweet of God or whatever it is. I reckon he laughs like you. Do you know what it is? It's the laughter of the foreshadowing. It's like, if these people knew it was coming, it must be that. Is that it's an element of that. <laughs> That's why you laugh like that at the beginning of every podcast, because it's like, Ryan doesn't know. He I thinks guess, he knows. He has no idea. He still doesn't know. He has no idea. He's still so young. <laughs> so much to learn. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so let's talk oh actually before we get into it I'm going to push my Stadio propaganda go and vote for us in the British Podcast Awards britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote Stadio for the Listener's Choice Award go and vote go and vote help us F shit up <laughs> take back control take back control <laughs> the elite <laughs> 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 let's oh my goodness rough up the podcast establishment establishment <laughs> <laughs> oh god I'm only joking I'm not joking please vote for us but yeah I'm sure everyone all the established podcasts are very lovely people what is wrong with me way down in the bunker you should be wearing you should be wearing car keys oh, I'm <laughs> like a gremlin who's been fed after midnight you're like Robert Duvall in like Apocalypse Now <laughs> No, I'm like Martin Sheen at the beginning of it. You are just going to get back to the jungle. Amazing. It's, it's like, to open up Google Hangout. Moose is like, why are you covered in blood, right? <laughs> Podcast day. Sorry. I've not had any breakfast, so I'm a bit... Oh, talking of hungry. Look at this. Oh, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? I've got cupcakes. I'm not eating them. I literally just said I was hungry and you just flaunted sweet goods in front of my face. I mean, obviously you're a, you're a sweet good and you're flaunting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> sweet God. It's like, it's like we're still in captivity. It's like we're still in captivity. God. Should we start again? Let's start the podcast. Let's, let's get, let's the- I'm really sorry, everyone. We have, let's talk about the football. We're pushing for time. Okay. And well, and obviously doing better than we are because we've clearly completely <laughs> lost it. Disintegrated. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Let's get into the classica. Um, it has got very very real and that's just on the podcast so we had a title race straight after the resumption of the Bundesliga season and it's really interesting so 
the teams all came back looking pretty sharp. Leipzig looked sharp. Gladbach flew mm. out of the traps. Dortmund two and Munich. And this game was superb. The intensity of Dortmund Bayerns. It was a brilliant, brilliant game. A brilliant, especially the first half. And weirdly enough, here's a funny thing. Thinking now, the first half of um, Bayern Leipzig was pretty good as well at the Allianz. Now I think about it. Like these were two, I mean, really, really a fine game. This was an even better game, I thought. And the thing I loved about this game, um, and the thing that makes me sad about it at the same time, is that Lucien Favre, I thought, coached it really well. I thought this was an example of a game where I don't think, I mean, he made substitutions at halftime that were slightly baffling, but they might have been injury-related, I think. And I think that Sancho is perhaps nursing the calf injury we they talked about before. And it just felt like, it was sad for me because this was almost the best game I'd seen Favre coach against Bayern. Well, took the game to Bayern. I mean, you could see from the first two minutes, ball gets cleared off the line. Holland was criticised for not scoring, but actually it was just, you know, it, it's tough to get your eye in that early in a game and it wasn't the best angle for him. And really the speed of the transitions, the speed of Dortmund's interplay, I mean, they actually arguably shifted the ball around quicker than Bayern did. But Kimmich did what Kimmich does. And maybe, I mean, Kimmich has had a, you know, a strong season. I would say perhaps he hasn't been as impressive as he first was when he burst on the scene, Kimmich, but he's still such a reliable performer. Um, and yeah, I just, I feel sad for Dortmund because I, I feel like they deserved better from that game. Hmm. I don't think they deserved better from the game. I think they deserved a penalty which could have changed the outcome of the game so maybe right. that goes to what you were saying mm. but I think Dortmund have done a really good job since the turn of the year of maximising points when they're on top which is something that they've struggled with for a long long time and I actually going to plug just wrote a piece for the ringer about this about the game and the Bundesliga paradox such an amazing league so exciting so entertaining yeah. But yet we kind of know the champions before a ball's been kicked. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, back to the game. And I think that, yeah, Dortmund, they have this, or they had this incredible knack of just not capitalising on areas of dominance. Yes. They've kind of turned that around since the winter break. Yeah. You know, they only lost to Lever- Leverkusen in that 4-3 game. Yeah. Which was probably the biggest sign of that, actually. Yeah. But Bayern had also won 9 out of 10 going into this. Yeah. So... The Leipzig game before Christmas was a was a strange one because that was a really good game and obviously at the time Leipzig were on a bit of a tear. Yeah. Um, but Dortmund was so much on top and had probably the best half of football I've seen them play this season in the first half of that game. They should have been out of sight and they weren't and that has come back to bite them. In the same way that last season it wasn't the classicer in Munich that kind of messed it up it was the derby against Schalke and then the Bremen game the following week and they still only they dropped five points in those games they still only finished two points behind Bayern so the last two seasons Bayern have kind of been there for the taking especially with Kovac last season and their early season form this season under Kovac and I'm kind of stuck here because I understand the inequalities at play but taking this game in isolation Dortmund's bench was more stacked than Bayern's, actually. It was. And even and even though they've got a lot of injuries still, Witzel's not ready to come back. Marco Royce is still out. Looks like Holland's going to be out now. And this is where the depth comes in because I know he wanted to leave, but they could have really put their foot down and kept Alcacer. Because we said 
early on, the thing that worries me is if someone like Holland gets injured, they're not that heavy up front in terms of actual number nines. I'm getting really long-winded here, so I apologize. No, but they no, probably should it. have capitalized on there because I thought they were the better side for like the first 20, 25 minutes, I think, of that game. Yeah. And they probably should have been one to two nil up. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. I thought Julian Brandt was good. However, I don't think he was as good in the final third as he can be. There were a couple of times where he kind of just skewed that final ball. But I'm not sure if he was injured or what. But I think Dortmund just didn't look the same side as soon as he came off. And Sancho didn't look anywhere near fit, like you said. I actually think Favre, unless there was an injury at play here, which we don't know about, I think Favre didn't actually coach the game as well as he could have. Because I think that taking Brandt off at halftime and giving Sancho a full half, when you clearly saw that he was struggling, right? I think in that scenario, you give him 20 minutes or 15 interesting, minutes interesting. right at the end. Yeah. The main thing I would take away from it was just you saw the massive experience of winning under pressure and the experience of not. That's where you see the fact that you have a 17-year-old, a 20-year-old, a 21-year-old on the pitch, okay, Mario yeah. Goetze, who's struggling, you know what I mean? And even though you have those, those experienced heads like Emre Chan and, and Mats Hummels, but so much of that Bayern nucleus was the side that won the Champions League and have gone on to win multiple championships. And you just see it. It's not, um, sorry, I know I'm going on a bit here. No, it's interesting. No, it's good. There's a lot of casual discourse around the Bundesliga at the moment, especially online. And I think that a lot of people saying that Dortmund choke or they're like, you know, they ain't got that MJ mentality or whatever that is, I think is a little bit weird because it's not something you could just flick on. I actually put this in the, in the ringer piece. It's not like you can just flick that on. Yeah. It's not a switch. It's, it's like a, it's a learned behavior. And I think this is where stepping out of this game into the wider context, this is where I feel sorry for Dortmund and I, and I feel a little bit down about the knock-on effects of this game because another cycle is going to end once the season's done. It looks like Sancho will probably leave. Hakimi's going back to Real Madrid. Goetze, who hasn't played a key role. I mean, he was one of their better players last season, Mario Goetze. He had a really good season at, at points last year. Yep, yep. It's just the cycle starts again. And while the cycle starts, Bayern will continue rumbling on. Are there any major noises about major players leaving Bayern this year? Maybe Javi Martinez. I don't think... That, well, it's Javi Martinez and Jerome Boateng that I think are the two, right? And those departures won't hurt them that much because you've got Sula well, to come I mean, back. Boateng... Yeah, Sula coming back is key. And, Hernan- yeah. and Hernandez. And Han- Hernandez, who hasn't been playing, exactly. who cost, what, 80 million euros? Exactly. And then they've signed Alexander Nubel, who you know, was Schalke club captain, named club captain at the beginning of the season. Yeah. And yet Manuel Neuer has signed a new three-year extension to his contract. It's like the cycles, you see it as a wheel. The wheel of Bayern slowly turns and you can just replace one part of it. And it's not really a problem. Dude, you mentioned Xavi Martinez going, current in Toliso. I mean, that's yeah. a straight swap. Toliso coming straight back. Swap. I mean, it's wild. Yeah. Toliso has been injured. Like, I mean, this is the thing. Like Bayern have had injury problems this season. You know, but their core has remained intact. And this is where Hansi Flick deserves a massive amount of credit. In the two seasons where they looked like their dominance could really come to an end, a lot of people tipped Dortmund as favourites before the season had even begun. Yeah, This was the chance. You know, we were talking to Jonathan Harding about this yesterday. And whilst you can also be aware of the realities at play here, you also then have to start thinking, well, when does this mentality shift? There's always an excuse, right? There's always an excuse, I guess. Yeah, and like the penalty in isolation, the penalty for this game was probably an excuse because it should have been a penalty. There's no two way about it. And then it's 1-1 and then who knows? 
but again, it's all speculative. Haaland was not at his best. That's the first game I've seen Haaland where I've been like, ah, you know what? Very good in the approach play, I think. Everything was right. I mean, his, he always gives you the effort. He always gives you the graft. I just felt like there were, it was just slightly subpar across the board when it really mattered. Like Brandt was a good example. Brandt actually, I thought was very good in the middle third. Very good Mm -hmm. in the middle third, but again, the final third was missing. It was out of sync. I'm just concerned now for Dortmund like you. And, you know, it's a shame because elsewhere, it's almost like as if in sync, the title ambitions of the other teams have founded. So, you know, Leipzig have struggled to get results since the restart. Well, kind of before they were struggling. Gladbach had a bad result against Werder. I just, there is a mentality issue and it's, Unfortunately, it's, you know, championship DNA. You look at that, that Bayern squad. I was looking through the squad the other day and just thinking, I, I was just idly jotting through going, how many of these players have won like four or five titles on the bounce? Like loads of them, four or five titles on the bounce. It's absolutely wild. But also that's another thing where Bayern deserve credit for because we've mentioned it before, like how hard it is to win once, twice. But then when you start getting into like dynastic levels, that's really hard. And we, also, we always talk about this with the NBA. And yes, there is a disadvantage at play, but also that provides a number of unique problems for Bayern yeah. that no other club really has. Yeah, exactly. So it is hard. It's not just one issue at Dortmund. It's a, a little bit of everything. I, I like Lucien Favre. I think he's at a point in his career with the kind of manager that he is that I think Dortmund could do with an upgrade. That's interesting. And I'm actually a fan of Lucien Favre. I, th- I think he's a nice guy. But I think he he reminds me a little bit of um, of Arsene Wenger in that it's it's kind of process and progress, which is what the later stages of Wenger's career became. Whereas I know Pochettino hasn't won a trophy, and I'm not sure that Dortmund would be able to get someone like Pochettino. If I'm being honest, because I think he wants another Premier League job by the sounds of it. Give it to Brendan Rodgers. No, but I think <laughs> I was only half joking. Do you know why? Because this Dortmund reminds me of um, Liverpool 2013-14. No, I see. I don't think I don't think he's the right guy. I no, think, I'm, I'm, think... I'm only joking because I mean, what I mean with the parallel being that Liverpool would be the most exciting team that season. They had to put together a season DVD. Not the DVDs exist anymore, but the predominant highlights would probably be Dortmund highlights. But mm. if you're looking at like the team that wins, it's City, and it feels like that same kind of. Well, who, who would you get? Actually, this is interesting. Who would you get into? Dortmund now? Who'd be upgrade? That's a really, really good question. I mentioned Poch and we've mentioned him before, but I'm not sure if the realities of that would play out. I think fit-wise, it would be really interesting. Jonathan mentioned, and and it's kind of something that has been frequent in Dortmund, is just that that never-ending, harping back to when Klopp was there. They almost had that when Tuchel was there, I think, but Tuchel was too, there was too much friction between him and other people at the club. But I think Tuchel was the closest that they came to potentially recapturing that moment or recapturing that energy, which I think is what Dortmund seemed to be striving for. Can't think of anyone from a German. That's the problem. I can't think of a, it's the German speaking. Think of a German. I mean, Lothar Matthias was coming out on Sky saying Nico Kovac, and I just cannot see where he's got that from. That's, no, that's, I mean, I don't think it would work. Pochettino at Dortmund would be incredible. If he got like intense German lessons, Pochettino at Dortmund would be... We're not talking about how realistic it is, but I think in terms of... Fit, yeah. I mean, I would love to see Pochett. Oh my God, that would be, do you know why that'd be amazing? Because they'd be a threat in Europe as well. With those pieces. I mean, I don't know why we're talking about this. Do you know know what we're talking about? Do you know why? Because I look at like Dan Axel Zagadou and think the player he could become 
under Pochettino is absolutely thrilling. You, the, the, that's the thing. The great coaches improve players and there are many respects in which Favre has improved certain players. Don't get me wrong. And I think oh, yeah, I, I, I love what he's done. I just feel like, like you, the transition is right. Um, but yeah. I mean, I think he, he came out and said that he would see out his contract, which is big Wenger energy, you know, <laughs> which is up at the end of 2021. Well, the 2020, 2021 season. But, you know, Wenger never broke a contract and then he walked out with a year left. So, yeah, I don't think it will happen. But I do wonder if it's something that... I think the problem is that Dortmund tried to promote up within the Bundesliga. They, you know, after Tuchel, they took on Peter Bosch, which didn't work. And then they hired Peter Stuger from Cologne, which just didn't work at all. The next managerial appointment for Dortmund is massive. I really think that despite the size and the dominance of Bayern, this Dortmund team have and had the tools to win the league this year. I agree. I agree. This one will be really concerning, I think, for everyone upstairs. And it's a shame because it's one of those, like, it's the kind of, it doesn't have to be a Favre is terrible or he's a bad guy, get him out. Or he's, you know, I don't like stuff like that because he's not, you know. I just think that maybe it's not the right fit. And I'm trying to think if there's anyone in the league who would, I mean, I don't think they'd take a punt on someone like Marco Rosa. No. I don't think he'd potentially want to leave. I mean, around Europe. But my friend said this really well. I think I said this already in the podcast, maybe even earlier today, but the challenge of finding elite managers who can speak German to an almost fluent level is underrated in terms of its difficulties. It's so, so hard to recruit. My friend who's a big Eintracht fan, it's just so difficult. That's a real challenge because, you know, great managers want to communicate as well as possible. And it's just so tough, he said. It's a real... I mean, I don't think that there are that... Apart from, like, Julian Nagelsmann is in very much a class of his own at the moment in terms of a young, like, young, young. I mean, he is super young. Yeah. But elite level coaches, young ones. Nagelsmann could do it, actually. Yeah, but he won't. He's he's there at Leipzig for two years and... I don't think he'll break that contract. I hope not. I really don't know, man. I really don't know who's available and would fit. Interesting. Well, I just, I just kind of feel, um, I mean, also Nagelsmann looked a bit disappointed in the press conference. He's been a bit sad recently about the team's intensity. Um, yeah, let's maybe just do a quick roundup because we've gone long on Dortmund and stuff. So, okay, I mean, okay. yeah, Leipzig dropped two points at home to Hertha. Hertha are good now. Leipzig did have a man sent off. So, I mean, maybe it's a good point. But it's resilience though. I mean, Hertha went one went uh, two one down with a a really demoralising goal and the kind of thing where in in previous times they might have maybe succumbed to two one defeat but they came back strong and Cunha ran at people I mean he earned the penalty he looks good man this is the thing they've now got the different pieces they all looked quite impressive in different ways Lukabaku Ipisovic and Cunha the front three again all presenting different types of problems for Leipzig. So that, that was such a great point for Hertha. And in context, in context, that was as impressive a result as the 4-0 over Union in the sense that you go away, go a goal down to a team actually trying to chase second place at this point, realistically, and you come back. I mean, Labadia there. There's a great quote from June on, June on Twitter. I wish I, I, wish I was this a Bundesliga. Amazing. I wish I was a Bundesliga club so I could hire Bruno Labadia to sort out my life. <laughs> Hertha, since they've come back, well, since 
the Bundesliga's resumed. They've scored nine goals and conceded two with two away trips to Hoffenheim and Leipzig and a home Berlin derby. That is really, really good. We were t- I was talking to um, Stefan Ersfeld, the great man Dembo, about this. And he was just like, how have Hertha all of a sudden got legit good during a pandemic? <laughs> yeah, it's the most Hertha thing I was ever. Just like, it was Mikhail Preetz's uh, plan all along. It's just a long game, man. It's a long game. But they do look really, really good. And you never know, it might be a false dawn, but starting to display a little bit a little bit of big city energy. They are. They are. Huh? They're, just, they're just a good team now and quite quickly. They are good. You know, they are good. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm, yeah, it's interesting. I'm happy for Labadier because, you know, as the only fully suited coach in the Premier, in the Bundesliga, he, we obviously all want him to succeed. He's, he's, you know, he's got a lot of pressure on him. He does. Oh, this is quite exciting. So Wolfsburg beat Leverkusen 4-1 away. Yikes. Which is wild. And there was a question actually about like, how the hell has this happened? I think from Kunle Joe, And I was really excited when I saw the question because I was like, oh, I've got a bit of inside information on that. Uh, Oh, is this some, actually going to drop some ITK? ITK. It? It's not even that much, to be honest. Do you know what it is? <clears throat> it's the fitness regime. Like the fitness. If he saw that Wolfsburg were like flying against Leverkusen and my source within the Warsaw camp was like, yeah, we're just like, the fitness is just absolutely flying at this point. And if you see the fullbacks in particular, Kevin Mbabu, I think was one of the players of the year. I think he was a Swiss player of the year back when he was in, in Switzerland. He was struggling for games early on but has looked superb since the restart. And he pulled off a beautiful tackle. I think it was like Wolfsburg got like one nil up or two nil up when he pulled off an incredible recovery tackle. Renato Steffen's been scoring really well. Um, Maximilian Arnold was great in midfield and Wolfsburg just have that intensity. So yeah, really impressive win for them. Um, in con- I mean, given how well Leverkusen were playing, but maybe there's an element of you know, Leverkusen playing high intensity and they got hit by something of the same Dude, the whole league is a catfish. Apart from Bayern, everyone else is a catfish. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out for Christian Strike. A point away at Frankfurt. Uh, they sh- oh, they could have won the game, though, to be fair. They were 3-1 up. Dude, the defending. Um, the defending. Oh, my goodness. Don't don't become one of these Bundesliga defending truthers. It wasn't, it wasn't that. Stop no, it. It wasn't that. It, wasn't, it, was just, it was literally just like, there was an error for, I think, was it... Um, Freiburg second when, when this guy basically pressed the back four and just gave it up and I just thought man this is yeah it was that was so that was a bit just one of those it's just mm. one of the, you know what it is it, but my friend said it was, it's very Eintracht like my friend's an Eintracht fan he's like this has just been happening to us we've had the strangest season and he, he couldn't he's just he just can't wait for it to end it's so baffling you know Eintracht season a little update on my uh, go for it sorry on my Eintracht stat yeah go for it 12 points in 48 since David Abraham pushed over Christian Strike. <laughs> Have you cursed Eintracht? No, but we've cursed Kai Havertz, apparently, and Leverkusen. No, that wasn't us. That was uh, Gabriel Marcotti. That's Gabriel Marcotti. Oh, you bl- blaming Gab? No, he blamed himself. I think he said, the moment I talked up Leverkusen, they, they revert to Boschball at its worst. Which I don't know was... I don't know, was, I was well, that's the thing about Boschball. It's high risk, high reward. It's like a weekend out in Berlin. Yeah, true, true, true. It could be unbelievable. It could be. <laughs> it could be anything. Could take a turn. It could take anything. Yeah, exactly. It'll be extreme, whatever it is. Talking of taking turns, Schalke since Christmas have taken a turn for the worst. No win in ten now. They lost to Fortuna. Fortuna looked like they could get out of trouble. Uwe Rosler is doing a really, really good job. There. The stat: three goals for and twenty-four against for Schalke in the last ten matches. 
is struggling. Horrifying. Um, there was a Horrifying. there were a lot of Schubert and Wagner puns flying around as well in that game. Do you know what it is? The, sh- the finishing is just abject. You know, when a team, you know, Manchester United went through this, there was a season, an entire season where the finishing was just appalling. And what was happening was that because the chance creation was so poor from midfield, strikers were snatching opportunities because they, they thought it was a sort of vicious cycle. You don't create chances from midfield. So when you get them, you panic or you rush them because you're just not used to having them. And then the cycle just continues. The strikers look worse than they are. The midfielders look worse than they are because they're just not playmakers. You know, it's a very particular skill to create in that situation. So I've just got a bit of sympathy there for Schalke. Mm. But maybe Wagner is not long for this world. Let's take a break and come back with some questions. Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. We had an email from Faith B who said, I just wanted to say I voted for the Listener's Choice Award first time ever in my life. I did it because of Ryan's persistent marketing through the podcast. Apparently it worked. (laughs) 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 Rilo Ren, the pro marketeer. (laughs) Faith said, since I'm here, may I suggest Valerie Lobanovsky's 80s Dinamo Kiev for the all-time league? I know it's been ages, 60 plus days. Love the podcast. Cheers. Thanks, Faith. Yeah, of course you can. Yeah. Put it. Put it yeah. We, we might have a promotion and relegation system. We'll have uh, the greatest league of all time and then the Zweite greatest league of all time. They'll come for us. Two go down. Play two off. go up. Play- and we'll have a playoff. Do it German yes. style. German style. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God, that's so good. The Stadio greatest. That is really good. Two divisions. The Zweite. Yeah. Amazing. Yep. The Zweite goat league. That is the most Stadio thing ever. Two divisions. Goat League. Two imaginary goat leagues. So this weekend, the Frauen Bundesliga returns. And also there was news about the NWSL and the Challenge Cup, which is coming in June, which I am really hyped about. So we had a few questions about this. So we're going to cover, maybe let's do them all at once, right? So Andrew Blair said, I had the same question from a few days ago about what you think the cancellation of the WSL means in the long run for the competition. And additionally, is this an appropriate time to be giving out £50,000 fines for something from 2014? So context here, Arsenal women got fined £50,000 for an act of discrimination after firing a coach of a under-15 team, mm. I believe. I mean, yeah, because the club can underwrite that. I think you can't really delay fines like that. I think it's an interesting question from Andrew because I think obviously the one of the things that the WSL's cancellation has highlighted is how poorly funded by some clubs the women's teams are yes i think at arsenal it's not the case they train at colney they use the same facilities the club can eat that money up no problem i don't think i mean yeah obviously it feels weird saying yeah it's no problem for 50 grand to be flying out during a pandemic when people have been furloughed etc but i think arsenal are one of the more stable because they've been such a powerhouse for so long exactly and it's also the message it's, i think i think and might just to clarify it's the message it would send, you know, that must have been a very difficult case to bring for the mm-hmm. individual in question. And then to, to have it on hold, I mean, who knows what financial peril situation that person was in, that individual was in. So hopefully that helps if the fine goes to them or some aspect goes to them. Um, but why, yeah, you're right. I mean, Arsenal can, they can eat that. They can, over, they can underwrite that. And I think, what's that great Warren Buffett quote I've used before on here? 
it's only when the tide goes out, you see he's been swimming naked and mm. the financial pressure. I mean, like there are big clubs that Franklin, I don't want to blame, call it individual clubs, but as a league, I'm disappointed, frankly, that they couldn't find the money to keep those teams afloat. I think it's kind of a disgrace, especially given that this league was one of the best. I mean, not just about quality, but in terms of the quality of the title race, just on a footballing perspective, this was unbelievable as a season. This was an unbelievable season. And I was like, obviously it would have been played behind closed doors, but what a shame not to find a way to perpetuate that, to find a way to make that continue. I don't know. That's my, that's my, I just, it's a shame there wasn't money in the pot for that. And I think it's kind of shameful. There wasn't money in the pot for that. But, you know. In my opinion, some of the clubs who have women's sides and don't fund them to the amount that they need to be funded, it's not negotiable for me. When you see the amount of money that flies around the Premier League and how rich those clubs are, these women's teams, they're not a separate football club. They're part of the club. So it'd be like, for example, our club that we both play for in Berlin, yeah. all of a sudden just binning off one of the sides. Yeah. It wouldn't happen because it's all part of the club. There is no excuse for 99% of the women's clubs to not be funded to a level where that they can all survive and all be paid and not have to worry about having job security. They really have to step up here because the women's game is going to get hit hard by yeah. this. After so much progress in the last few years and such an increase in visibility, it would be a huge shame if a lot of that really good work that's been done in the last few years is, gets undone. It's very frustrating. It also makes me annoyed because I see this kind of I had a look at the marketing league tables and the kind of like online presence of like women's teams. And what really struck me was how some of the best women's teams in Europe had really, really bad social media outreach. And I thought to myself, you see right there, I'm angry about that because to me that suggests there's a lack of a genuine effort because if you brought in a social media team, the same qualities as what we see on the pitch, then that, that team's name would be known really widely. And I just thought this has kind of revealed it's quite grim, but I, you know, I, there's the things I can't really say, but there's things I've seen about women's football and the way that it's been used. I thought to myself, these clubs aren't pushing them as hard as they should be. Like there's a conscious choice. Mm-hmm. There's conversations we've had with people. And we've had conversations with people inside the game and you're like, well, why isn't that person? There's an individual question I'm thinking of. Why isn't that person hired by them? Because they'd be perfect in that job. And they get back to the, like, actually, yeah, like it was given to someone with kind of contacts, whatever. And it wasn't given to the best person. And literally if that person was doing that job in women's football, that club would be in the stratosphere. And it's so frustrating, Ryan, because these are conscious choices that people are making because they don't care. And these are choices they would never make in the men's game. They would never be that nope. cavalier. Never. They'd never be that cavalier. No, I agree. Yeah. Well, I hope the damage is non-existent, but it's not going to be the case. So whatever damage there is caused to the women's game, I hope is as minimal as possible. But maybe let's go on to something positive because Jem Atkinson tweeted saying, thoughts on the NSWL 2020 Challenge Cup scheduled in for late June. It's exciting. A much needed shot in the arm for the women's game. Now, for those who don't know, the NWSL is doing a tournament. Starts at the end of June. It's all going to be played in Utah. I think this is brilliant. It's quite cool because it's almost... um it's actually, a, it's a jump on because the NBA are planning a similar thing, a kind of straight knockout. And I think there's something yeah. exciting about straight knockout, shot in the arm. And what I like about it, it's quite, 
original, I think. It's almost, you know what it is? What mm. I like about it is it's responding to the circumstances of the pandemic. Instead of trying to say, this is the no- football as it's normal, it's actually quite innovative. Um, yeah. It's saying, no, we're going to give you something like a strike shortened season. We're going to give you something appropriate. Um, not, like, not quite an aperitif, because it's a bit more, it's a good tournament, but a tournament that means something. I mean, the details of it, they're going to basically have a, what they call a, an NWSL village. Mm. So it's going to create a quarantine-esque living situation. I'm just reading this from the MLS soccer yeah. website. Um, for housing, training and competition needs, rigorous testing for COVID-19 would take place as would isolation protocols. So obviously, first and foremost, the safety of all the players is absolutely paramount. If they can guarantee that, which it sounds like they've got a a kind of good way of doing this. I mean, the thing is in the NWSL, there's nine teams. So I think it would, uh, I think it, you're obviously not dealing with like a 40 team league or whatever. So therefore it would be quite, you know, hopefully a lot easier to isolate and keep it safe than, than a number of other leagues would. And there would be no travel because everyone would be playing within the same three stadiums, I think. So yeah, I'm into it. And I think that, this is a positive thing for the women's game and it is, I'm, I'm really glad that the women's game is going to have some level of visibility at least throughout the summer. And also I'm going to buy my Rose Lavelle Washington Spirit shirt. Not a jacket. Not a jacket. What? No. Buy a football shirt. Get a jacket, mate. No one buys a football jacket. Why not? What are you talking about? I'd buy one. I'm a jacket guy. All right, dad. I'm a jacket guy. Wow. Wow. There we, the generational gap becomes clear. Yeah. Fucking Uncle Musa in his football jackets. <laughs> Uncle, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> the things I do for this podcast. <laughs> the things you do. The things I oh, do. Oh, really? <laughs> it's a good job we're nearly done because we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> right, this is one for Musa because Shane Maddy seems to just want to feed Musa. <laughs> Who is Thanos in football? Who could, in an instant, bring people to their knees, not out of sheer joy for football, but for the pleasure of pain? Sergio Thanos. Yeah, but he's too, he's too comical though, right? So was Thanos for a bit. Thanos yeah, was maybe. really comical. He was comical in the early bits, like when he, the early CGI, and by the end he was terrifying. For me, it, it's, it's, it's Sergio Thanos because he's undead. Sergio Thanos. <laughs> there we go. Good Lord. <laughs> All right. There's your answer. This one from Dipe and Das. Uh, Musa's Bundesliga rapper. It was brilliant. There you go. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we haven't really mentioned that. So Musa was involved in a Bundesliga advert from what, 18 months ago you did that? Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's been broadcasting in the States and then we had a flurry of tweets the other day saying, was that Musa on the Bundesliga advert? <laughs> oh my yes, God. it was. The best one I got was when someone said, <laughs> I, was in, I think it was, I was in California and I shouted at my dogs, that's Musa. <laughs> shouted at his <laughs> dogs. <laughs> it is flat. For some reason, that just made me crease. I was like, the thought of that. <laughs> uh, this question kind of leads on to another one I want to read out. It says, haven't had the chance to attend a Bundesliga game yet, but the stadium atmosphere seems to be more inclusive, brackets more kids and women, than the average Premier League game. And this seems to be a big part of the fan culture in Germany. Is this fair or not? I don't, I, I don't know if there are more women or children there because I don't have the numbers and mm. I can't see. But I think that I would say the fan culture in Germany feels a lot more accessible, especially at the top level, because it's priced a lot more fairly than, say, the Premier League. I think it has a happy balance of having really intense parts of the stadium where obviously you have ultras and stuff like that. There's a lot of choreo. And despite 
obviously having issues occasionally. Compared to the Premier League, I much prefer fan culture and the experience of actually going to a Bundesliga match. Yeah, I've been privileged to watch Union twice live and that's been extraordinary. Um, they got beaten 4-0 when I first arrived in Germany and at the end there was like a standing ovation for them just because they tried so hard. Yeah, the Fusterei is a really special yeah. place to go. Hair to get out of stick for various reasons, but actually there's a great atmosphere in those games. I think the problem is the stadium's slightly too big for the fan base. I think for yeah. this 6,000 capacity, I think you'd see stadium rammed. Um, and also even Hertha, credit to them. Uh, I went to one of their games. And I was on a journalist pass and went into the sort of section behind the ground afterwards. And the manager would come out and do, was Kovic there at the time, I think? It had been Dardai. So Dardai, sorry, yeah. Uh, they did, would do a kind of like Q&A with, with like this in the VIP section for fans, which I'm not sure is that common for managers to do. So he was like, make himself available. It was a 3-0 defeat. They got beaten 3-0 by Wolfsburg. Mm. But he still sort of was turning out and was like, any questions? And so I thought that was really nice. That sort of sense of, there was just that level of uh, proximity mm. to the fan. They're which, very open at Hertha, yeah. Yeah, and, and also shout out to Wolfsburg as well, uh, Fowerfell, the women's team. They're just, the demographic you get at their grounds is just amazing. You've got kids. It's from, I went there with my little sort of glue vine uh, I sort of cups of glue vine, you know, in the winter and you've got kids from like 10 and you've got up to grandparents, you know, all genders, mm. just good vibes. So yeah, just great fan experience. At the Classica, for example, you will see Dortmund fans sat next to Bayern fans. Like when I went to the Classica in Munich last year, there was literally in front of me, there was a Dortmund fan sat next to a Bayern fan in the Bayern end. When Dortmund come to town and play Hertha, the whole stadium is peppered with yellow shirts. You only start to see increased police presence anywhere near the level that you do at Premier League games for, for stuff like Dortmund Schalke. That gets a little bit gnarly. Yeah, yeah. A casual standard Bundesliga game doesn't see anywhere near the presence of police or in terms of, it's they're, they're there, but they're not as involved because they don't need to be as you do in the Premier League. Fair shout, yeah. It's a super, I think it's the, one of the most, but this is why I kind of, love it so much it's one of the most perfectly balanced top flight leagues you have huge clubs in the Bundesliga you have huge clubs in the Zweite Bundesliga and the only other country that's kind of really like that in Europe is probably England where you have European Cup winners in the, the second tier like Highest Fowl or you know Nottingham Forest Yeah, and you're seeing world class players and you're seeing huge clubs and great atmosphere but you're still kind of left to it. There's a freedom there. There's a freedom that you get at lower league football. You know, you can kind of drink and smoke in the stadium and it's, you know, it is what it is and you feel closer. You just feel closer to the experience. You don't feel like you're a, you you feel a lot less like a consumer. I think it's a financial thing. I think, I think the fact that it's so easy to combine the football match going experience Mm. with the, with the rest of the fan experience in Germany just let me bring in this other question from Will Howard. There's a part here that I think really, really fits to what we're saying. He said, can fandom, he was referring to, um, you know, the way that fan culture has been cultivated in the MLS. And he said, uh, you know, can fandom be purposefully cultivated? Is it something that you can weave into something as mercurial as a football league from the start? Or is it trying to catch lightning in a bottle and on the off chance it can what can the Premier League clubs and fans learn from the league now this is interesting because I think that this is something that you can't just again like we were saying before with the winning mentality it's not something you can just flick on and it works I think the I think the MLS does a really really great job actually of generating a 
a really vibey fan culture for new franchises from the beginning. Look at LAFC. LAFC is a prime example of how to do it really, really well. A lot of people, I imagine, who are fans of clubs in Europe will look at that and kind of scoff at it a bit because, you know, they're two years old or whatever. But it's operating in a different circumstances. The way the league is run is very different. Obviously, the league controls the franchises and yada, yada, yada. But in Germany, and again, this is something that goes for safe standing with the conversation in the Premier League. It's so much ingrained in the culture here. Fans feel closer to their clubs because of the 50 plus one rule that members still own the majority of the sporting side of the football club, the Verein. You know, when club membership is involved, that's when you see like a trickle down effect emotionally. I think if people feel closer to the club, they feel like they have more say, they feel like they are listened to, you know, when they're not constantly getting ripped off as well and they're not getting constantly policed. Like in the Premier League, you cannot drink alcohol in anywhere with a view of the pitch. But again, we've mentioned this before, I think it kind of goes back to British drinking culture. And that's just not kind of how it is in Germany. You see business people coming home from work on the train and they're drinking a beer and it's completely casual and normal. And so I think it is hard to completely create that from scratch because you're dealing in a very different environment with a different history and a different culture. And so... But I would look at Arsenal. Is, it, I would, it, it, what, can I throw this in? Mm-hmm. You've said this many times in relation to Stadia about the little details matter, all the pieces matter, to quote, um, is it Leicester from The Wire? And mm-hmm. it's all the pieces. Actually, Arsenal, a great example of this. Arsenal, when you go there, what do they have? They've got, they've got um, a museum. They've got a, a range of football clubs, each of whose results they talk about as if they were like first team results. Like often you'll see the Arsenal main account sharing results from like other games, women's teams, youth teams. And it's like the sense of like a club, the sense that everything is equally important. Every employee, if you're building a fan culture from scratch, you've got to start with the initial values, but you've got to start celebrating everything that club is and all the stories within it. Like, so I don't think it has to be fake because I play for a team and, you know, I played for a team and um, we played for the same club actually, but the club that I had, my team rebranded from, I think they were called the Rovers before, they're now the Unicorns is their nickname. And we rebranded with a set of values, a charter. And now that's, well, that's only like three, four years old, but we completely embrace that because the Unicorns stand for anti-racism, anti-homophobia, anti-sexism anti-fascism and that is something which everyone has taken on board so when the, when we go for trials when we go for trials at the unicorns you don't only go for like football trials everyone goes to the pub afterwards and it's like did you get on with so and so so they weren't just an amazing footballer were they an amazing person and so you're selected on the basis of like not just if you're a great player but if you're a nice person and so really good players in previous years haven't made the cut because people haven't really got on with them like because they don't really subscribe necessarily to everything that matters. So the reason I throw that as an example is that's a very basic example at amateur level of creating club culture slash fan culture in the space of like, what, like two years? So identity, I'm not one of these kind of people that goes identity has to be longstanding. No, it's just about shared values, hopefully compassionate forward-thinking ones because that's where I locate myself. And also I think that just being nice is a good identity to have because, you know, life is short. Um, but yeah, I think it can be created and nurtured surprisingly quickly. I think fan culture can be nurtured surprisingly quickly. So yeah. Yeah. Let's get out of here. Let's do it. Um, oh, anyone who's listening to this on Thursday before 7pm Central European summertime, 
I'll be doing a live Zoom panel as part of this Guerrilla FC culture division thing with Sana Kureshi, Justin Salhani, a host of other people. If you go to Guerrilla FC's Twitter and Instagram, there's a you can you can get the link. I think it's a private link to access it. But I don't I don't I don't know why they're asking me to do it. Just uh, just to do with the podcast. But um, well, because you're a genius. Stop it, you. You gotta keep it in. Stop it. Keep it in. Keep it in. Stop it. No, I'm cutting it. <laughs> I'm gonna cut the whole thing. We're running long. <laughs> Very long. Don't forget, you can check us on Twitter at Stadio, Instagram Stadio Football. The website is Stadio.Football. If you haven't, go and check my piece out on the Ringer ringer.com forward slash soccer I think it'll be the top one up there uh, we're playing out this week on Obed and Gobeni the instrumental of Taduma this is a monster this tune <laughs> so good uh, back Monday yeah let's do it back on Monday guess so nothing else to do <laughs> stay well everyone stay safe and uh, yeah have a great weekend we'll be back Monday see ya Thank mm-hmm. you.